The Exodus happened with women, plain and simple. God used women and their faith to free his people. Today on Rooted Daily, we're looking to their example. Welcome to Rooted Daily, the podcast where we're rooting ourselves in the Bible so we can grow with God a little more every day. I'm Brandon Levy, and there have always been tyrants. I imagine as soon as someone had enough power to lord it over someone else, prejudice began. And that prejudice was used to propel the political careers of men. Demagogues are not a new creation. And I doubt even the Pharaoh in the book of Exodus was the first demagogue, but he sure did master the craft, right? He was a demagogue and a tyrant of the first order in line with men like Adolf Hitler. But Hitler was finally driven off by other men with a stronger army. I mean, that's what tyrants respond to, power and force. But in the story of the Exodus, it wouldn't be the power and force of men that would topple Pharaoh. In fact, it wouldn't be men at all. Pharaoh's demise would start through women, women who trusted, served, and feared God. The story starts off in Exodus chapter 1, when a Pharaoh rose who never knew Joseph, the son of Jacob, who had been trafficked into Egypt, but ultimately rose to a position of incredible power, considering he started off as a slave. But this new Pharaoh knew none of that. In fact, I doubt this new Pharaoh would ever consider elevating a Hebrew to a position of power. To this Pharaoh, the Hebrew people were disgusting. They were like dogs. This Pharaoh had no trouble believing when someone told him that Hebrew women gave birth like animals, the literal translation of what the midwife said and Exodus chapter 1, verse 19. This pharaoh was racist, and he used that racism to stir up the Egyptian people to treat Abraham's children cruelly. And don't lose sight of that. All the Egyptians here were guilty. Pharaoh may have started it. His words, his decrees, they may have gotten the ball rolling, stirred up the prejudice. But the Bible doesn't just indict pharaoh. Verse 11 says it was the Egyptians who set taskmasters over the Israelites. Verse 13 says it was the Egyptians who ruthlessly imposed hardships over them. Verse 14, it was the Egyptians who made them perform harsh labor, and it was the Egyptians who made life bitter for them. Pharaoh said when he ordered that the Hebrew people be dealt with shrewdly, there's no doubt there, but so did the people who followed the order. There is a collective guilt that the Egyptians were about to feel the consequences of. And this is not a new question, right? Are we guilty if we do something unethical when ordered to do so? The question's been asked hundreds of different ways and hundreds of different scenarios, not the least of which being the soldiers who obeyed Hitler in his own genocide. Am I guilty for the sins of my commanding officer of my boss? What if my boss orders me to lie? What if my parents command me to steal? What if my government commands me to commit a sin? Am I guilty if I am just following orders? And those caught obeying orders, when they defend themselves, will quickly say, well, I had no choice. 
you'd do the same thing. You know, many of the prison guards of concentration camps said just that. Many of them came out and they didn't defend Hitler's ideology. Some said they didn't even agree with it, but they had orders. And if they didn't follow them, then they'd find themselves on the wrong side of the tyrant's wrath. They said they had no choice. Why do they say that? They say that because they believe the tyrant is in control. And that's not absurd, right? It's not an absurd belief. And it's not unfounded to think that disobeying a tyrant will have consequences. And so they say, well, I had no choice. Perhaps the Egyptians said that when the wrath of God came upon them when he sent the plagues. Perhaps they looked up at swarms of locusts descending upon them and they cried up to God and said, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. Blame Pharaoh. He's the guy in charge. I, I had no choice. I'm just following orders. But they did have a choice. And do you want to know how I know? Because women said no. Women said we do have a choice. When the hard labor didn't work, the people of God, they're still multiplying. As tyrants do, Pharaoh escalated his terror. He turned to these midwives assigned to help the Hebrew women and ordered the execution of Hebrew infants. And it's interesting, he only ordered the death of the boys. I mean, after all, why would Pharaoh worry about the girls? What were they going to do? But it was, in fact, the girls who he should have kept his eye on. But nevertheless, Pharaoh turns to these midwives, Shipra and Pua, and says, if you see that a baby is born or is a boy, kill him. Now, notice this has all been set up for us. Pharaoh's first order is to presumably landowners, people who have fields to tend to, people who are building things with mortar and bricks, Whoever's doing that, whoever's in a position to commission that kind of work is probably in a moderately powerful position. Yet, when Pharaoh turns to them with an unjust, sinful decree to treat their slaves poorly and cruelly, there's no opposition recorded. They don't use the power they have to stand up for what is right. But now, Pharaoh gives an evil ungodly order to the midwives, women who don't have any power, women who would have no way of defending themselves should Pharaoh decide to punish them. Yet it was these midwives who did stand for what was right. They didn't make excuses. They didn't say they didn't have a choice. Why not? The text says simply, they feared God and they did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. What does that tell us? It tells us they had a different view on who was in control. The people who obey sinful orders do so because they believe there is nothing more powerful, nothing scarier than the one who made the order. Soldiers in World War II, they didn't think there's anything more terrifying than the Nazi regime. But the midwives knew better. They knew no matter how powerful Pharaoh might be, God was greater. I'm sure they feared what Pharaoh would do, but they feared God more. You know, countless Egyptians made the mistake of seeing Pharaoh as the most powerful one in the land, and they suffered for it, plague after plague. Meanwhile, God recognized Shipra and Pua, and he gave them families 
of their own, even as Pharaoh seems to be throwing a temper tantrum here, having to repeat his orders to all of the people. Without the faith of the midwives, Moses may not have lived long enough to doubt God, let alone finally trust him. But the midwives weren't alone. Jochebed, Moses' birth mother, also looked at Pharaoh and said, there is someone more powerful than you. We don't find her name until the sixth chapter of Exodus because the Bible makes a point of describing the actual birth of Moses as unremarkable. It wasn't Moses who was the reason he survived. It wasn't because he was divine or powerful. He was just a normal, helpless baby who had the misfortune of being born in a time when a king wanted him dead. It wasn't because Moses was extraordinary. He was very ordinary. But for three months, Jochebed hid her son, uh, and it would have been a challenge, right? To try to keep Moses quiet in his cries and keep him out of sight. But Jochebed did all of that because she feared God, and she feared God more than she feared Pharaoh. Even when she recognized that she couldn't keep up hiding Moses, she did everything she could to protect him. She handed the reins over to God. After fashioning a basket and sealing it with slime and with pitch, she set Moses inside. And it's the same word for basket there as the word for the ark that saved Noah. Noah's ark took preparation and work from Noah. Sure, just like Jochebed's working here to save Moses, but ultimately it was God who saved Noah and his family. And God's going to do the same thing for Moses in this ark made by Jochebed. She lays the ark at the edge of the Nile River, a river full of crocodiles and hippopotamuses and other dangers. But Jochebed wasn't leaving her son just to float aimlessly down the river. She has an inspired purpose behind her actions. As the ark floats among the reeds, Jochebed's daughter Miriam uh, follows along and stood afar off to watch. And that's when another woman enters the scene. When the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, she sent her maid to fetch the ark. So you see, there's this conspiracy of women growing. First, the midwives. They block the initial blows of the tyrant. Then Jochebed, by hiding Moses, creates a little more time. And now Miriam and the Pharaoh's daughter, they're finishing the deal. So once she opened the ark, she discovered the crying boy. Her heart was touched, as it should. She wasn't under any illusion. She knew this boy was Hebrew. And she wasn't like the midwives. There's no indication that she feared God more than her father, but looking at that baby, she knew there was such a thing as right and wrong, and it didn't change based on her father's whims. And so she decided then and there to protect this baby. She has Miriam call a nurse from the Hebrew women, and who did Miriam bring? Jochebed, Moses's own mother. God's in control here not Pharaoh. Pharaoh thought he was all-powerful. He waved his hands and he ordered his people around to do evil, sinful things because he thought he was the Pharaoh. And that meant they had no choice, but they did have a choice. And these women made the right one. They stood for what was right, 
when Pharaoh made his unjust decrees, even when more powerful people before them who, who had the ability perhaps to resist, they had decided to simply submit and obey. But these women, they knew who was really in control. When the midwives uh, came and they were in this position, Pharaoh comes to them and he has a conversation with them. And the power differential there, it should have been so great, we would never see them talking face to face. Yet, the supposedly almighty king of Egypt talks directly with these midwives. He doesn't make them a decree just in writing. He has a conversation with them because the Pharaoh needs them. Every tyrant needs an army. Otherwise, they're just yelling into the wind. So who really is in control here? You know, the Hebrew title of the book of Exodus is Shemot, which means names. The book is consistently deliberate regarding names. Look at Exodus chapter one and tell me what names you see. Shipra, Pua, two women who never appear again in the story, but are important to be named for all of history. Do you know who isn't named? Pharaoh. Pharaoh is unnamed. Pharaoh's royal family members are unnamed. Pharaoh's officers are unnamed. Pharaoh's royal advisors are unnamed. Every Egyptian in the book remains unnamed. The Pharaoh is a powerful and a proud man, yet the book of Exodus denies him recognition because it's not Pharaoh who's really in control. It's God. Time and again, women in the Bible recognize that. From Moses and his mother saving his life to the women who went to care for Jesus when he was in the tomb after he had died. When all the disciples fled, it was women who went there. From before Moses' birth, decisions were made by faithful women who would preserve his life. And maybe what they did every day or day to day didn't seem to be consequential at the time. But through them, God was working. Pharaoh may have thought he was in control, but through God, the women of the Exodus brought his kingdom tumbling down. And that'll do it for this episode of Rooted Daily. I cannot wait to sit down and open up God's word with you next time. Thank you for watching this episode of Rooted Daily. We're praying that you're growing with us as we study the Bible and use God's word as our only foundation. If you appreciate this content and wanna make sure others see it, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app and hit the share button. Most importantly, if you're ready to take the next step, repent, be baptized, and hand over your life to Jesus, let's talk today. Just send me a text to 317-207-2734.